Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. I'm your host and coach, Tyler Johnson. This is the Elevate Podcast. If you are a return listener, we would love your like, rating, review, or share. And whether you've tuned in today to elevate your mindset, your game, or just your day, you are in the right place. She has over 15 years of consulting experience. She is the founder of X Factor Performance Consulting, specializing in mental skills. She currently consults with USA Hockey, USA Swimming, the University of Florida, the University of Southern California Women's Tennis, as well as many, many others. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast, Dr. Tiffany Jones. How are you today? Doing great. How are you? I am well. Excited to have you on the podcast. Uh, I've seen your work. I've seen some of your your talks online and and excited to have you here to to share some wisdom with us. But first, what kind of led you into your career path as a mental performance coach and working with athletes and coaches as you do? I get that question all the time. And um, I knew sophomore year in high school that this is what I wanted to do. And primarily because I knew I wasn't going to be good enough to be any sort of pro or national team athlete. Um, but I grew up loving sports, watched the 80s Celtics with my dad all the time. We'd have breakfast at Wimbledon. He had golf on all the time, though. I didn't really love golf at the, at the time, nor respect it. And always said it wasn't a sport. Sorry, golfers. I totally get it now. Um, and so my dad got me a book from a bookstore, Walden's Books, before there was a Barnes and Noble and any online. And back in the day, authors used to put their phone numbers in the in the books. And so Shane Murphy, who was one of the best of the best and started kind of what this whole field looks like now. And I just called them. So I'm in high school. I just called them up, asked them what it was really all about and fell in love with uh, mental skills, training, sports psychology, all of that. And so, yeah, I was one of those kids that was lucky enough to know sophomore year in high school, this is what she wanted to do. Didn't know exactly what it was going to look like, but was like, well, I don't, I'm not smart enough to be a doctor, an MD. Um, don't want to be an athletic trainer, love it, but not my thing. And so this was kind of what I fell into. Very cool. I always love the, you know, you find a phone number, you want to learn something, chase it down, go find it. I always love that attitude about, you know, informal education per se. Um, That's right. About that determination. You've had a, a, you know, a great career working with high level athletes and college teams all across the country. What's one of the most gratifying parts of being a performance coach and getting to do what you do? I think a lot of people would assume that it's the pros or the college or the national teams. And honestly, it's working with youth athletes or working with the parents and the coaches because if you can get them at that age and teach them the skills, because all I see is myself as a teacher. So if I can help teach the skills and then see them grasp it and be able to apply it so early on where they don't have the bad habits or the, as many struggles because they don't have the skills by the time they get to be college or pros, um, that's probably the most gratifying, honestly, is working with those youth athletes, parents, coaches, administrators, and helping and teaching the skills that we all need when we're like 10 years old that we don't get. Um, and then seeing them do the work, like it's great that yeah. they are sometimes sponges and just do the work and they get so excited when they work on something and it works. Right. And it's just seeing their faces and knowing that they're going to be able to apply those skills out of sport as well. 
Um, and I'm jealous. I wish I had had those skills at their age. So that's the most gratifying for sure. I'm jealous of those kids as well. Cause I struggled as a, a young athlete, you know, part of my purpose and things I do as well. Um, your company, the X factor, can you tell us a little bit about it and, and what, it, what is the X factor? Can you define that for us? It's all about, um, being honest and truthful, but loving and developing relationships to help, um, you know, help athletes um, and coaches and honestly, non-athletes, um, musicians or um, corporate folks um, reach their excellence in and out of their field. Um, I don't ever say perfection because for me, I don't think there is any per perfect. Um, I don't think we should be striving for perfection. I think it's striving for excellence and excellence can be different on any given day. Um, and so what's excellent today might not be the same barometer as tomorrow. Um, and so uh, I, I speak truth. I, I'm someone who holds people accountable, but I hope that people see it in a loving way and building those relationships and those connections. So folks know that I care about them regardless of what they do. It's just that they're humans. And I tell my athletes that all the time is I don't care if you ever play your sport again, I'm right here in your corner. I got you. That's, I think, uh, one of the greatest things we can gift as a coach and, and being part of their lives. That's very cool. I love it. Um, you kind of, you know, talked about working with the younger athletes. I think, you know, as you look, as we look back at mental performance, you know, it kind of started towards the top and, and it's kind of come, come down and, and met in the youth environment to prepare these skills. Where do you see the field of mental performance in five years? So I know mindfulness is this buzzword, right? I was almost going to bring it up. Yep, you did yep. it for me. <laughs> the awareness. And about over, probably over a year ago, I would have been like, mindfulness, meditation, give me a freaking break, you know? Um, and now it's like one of the first things I teach is, um, but I, I go about it in the science. I think what I didn't buy into it is because I didn't know the science behind it. I'm someone who wants to know the theory I want to know that it's grounded in science, um, that we're not just a pie in the sky grabbing things and trying things. And so um, I've been going on, I'm taking the Chopra coaching certification course right now. Cool. And it's a whole year long course. And um, I'm doing all the things that I would want my athletes and coaches to do. And yeah, I don't, again, I don't know why we're not teaching this at 10 years old. Um, the difference between fight, flight, freeze and the, and the survival instinct to the reactive response, which is the equivalent to that, but it's the psychological. And that's why we're really under threat is psych psychological, not, not that we're physically right. under threat. So, you know, fight, flight, freeze is great to keep the human species alive. It's terrible for the military and sport performance. Yeah. Um, and so, and then tr training how to get to a restful awareness response. And what I love about it is you have to do a lot of the vulnerability self-reflection, self-awareness stuff. Um, but the, to get to the restful awareness state, the best practice is the meditation. Um, and so breaking down kind of the myths of meditation, providing the science behind it, um, getting people to become observers of their thoughts, um, and then using the breath. Because um, if you're focused on your breath, you can't be focused on the past or in the future. Um, and also another quick thing is something that I've been using that helps is identifying, is it a problem or is it your problem with the problem? Mm. So if it's a problem, there's actionable steps. So like you sprain your ankle. Okay. Let's uh, elevate it, ice it, get you to a doctor, get x-rays. There's very like systematic. That's a, that's a, it's a problem or a situation. Your problem with the problem is like, Oh God, I'm not going to get recruited. What if I can never play again? Like what are my teammates thinking? And you start going down this rabbit hole of psychological thoughts, which creates that emotion and not emotions, not bad, 
but then it creates that tension, stress, all that other kind of stuff. Um, and we create this whole other narrative for ourselves. And so now we have a problem with the problem. Um, and now we create more problems because of that. And so it's also getting more aware of like, okay, is it really a problem? And a lot of times, like when I do this myself, 75% of the time, it's not a problem. I'm about to make a hundred problems. <laughs> it's like the texting, right? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. You text someone, you don't get the response back. You're, get, you're uncomfortable. There's no problem. You're not under physical threat. You're fine. Nothing's happening. But our minds start to go, oh my God, they don't love me. They don't like me. I'm not important enough. What if they're mad at me? They're mad at me. Oh my gosh. And then you send 30 texts. What's wrong? Did I upset you? Where are you? What's wrong? Are you alive? And now you maybe created a problem because you've just annoyed the other person <laughs> with 30 texts because you're stalking them. So it's, it's, it's learning how to stay in your seat and just be uncomfortable um, and not do and make decisions out of a reactive state and get to that more restful awareness response. And so that, imagine that in sports. So we're not reacting, we're coming from a place of consciousness and making wise decisions. Yeah. Someone recently had kind of, in a different way, said, do you have a problem or a choice? Yeah. And the choice might be hard, but yeah. is it a prize or a real problem or do you have choices that you're not wanting to make a choice from? Mm -hmm. um, I, I like the, the other thing I heard you say there, I wanted to kind of, pull back a little bit is the narrative. Um, I think especially when you work with younger athletes, you know, grabbing a hold, being able to realize you can grab a hold of the narrative going on um, and kind of take control of the pen sometimes. How do you maybe ex explain maybe that process to athletes or getting them to maybe talk to themselves and listen to themselves less? How do you go about Approaching well, first, narrative. my young, my younger athletes, when I teach them this, they get it right away. It's my older athletes that weave tales of nightmares and horror stories way more than even my youth athletes. Um, and because they've done it, it's a habit. It's a yep. habit. Our bodies want to feel elation and something. And so even if the something is sadness from our own self-sabotaging or whatever, our bodies want to feel that adrenaline and that like fight, flight, freeze almost like, and so we create habits in our lives and we make choices to feel that. We don't know it. We're not aware of that's why we're making it, but we're like, I just need to feel something. And so we, that's where a lot of that is. Like I'm uncomfortable and I don't like the uncomfortable, but I don't care if I make choices now that is going to send me down like awful, but at least I feel something. Um, so for me, it's getting them to write ruts, which is raw, unfiltered thoughts. So if they're feeling, even if I have them do a body scan, I'm like, do you feel tension anywhere? Even if they're not aware of their thoughts, do a body scan. If you're tense, okay, you don't have tension without our thoughts. Like our body's not just going to tense up. So if your body's tense somewhere, all right, let's write a rut. So I just want you to write whatever comes to you, thoughts, feelings, anything, everything goes. And then what you can start to do is analyze the, the emotions. And if the emo you can tell if the emotions are in the past, they're, they're an emotion because you're thinking on the past or you're thinking in the future, you underline the thoughts and you start to identify, okay, let's start to break apart kind of the, the thinking process of this. And then if they're about to go perform, like it's one thing if they're not, and I go, okay, this is all real. We're going to own it. I'm not telling you to leave it on when you step on the field. We got to get away from that. You know, you step out of the locker room, you step over the white line, leave everything. You can't leave your skin color and your sexuality and your socioeconomic status and your, your breakup with a significant other. Like that, you can't just leave that, but you can decide right. where am I going to put my energy. Mm -hmm. And so by writing all that, we're owning that that's real. We're not negating it. 
but then draw a big thick line, like a bookmark. Like I can return to this. I can give energy to this after my performance. And then under the line, you write, what can I do? And what will I do right now when I go play um, or perform or compete? Um, and then I can return and give energy back. And so it's, it's, again, it's impossible. Like we've said this, how many times you got to just leave it off the field. Like, come on. That's also a very privileged way to, to look at it. And so, um, so it's getting them to write. And then I get ruts sent to me now from coaches and athletes, like maybe five times a day, like from across the world. And sometimes they're like, I already feel better writing it. I just want you to have it and look at it. And maybe next time we talk, you'll have questions for me because they know I'm not going to tell them what I think. I'm just going to ask questions. And so um, it's been a really useful tool. I have coaches who will look in an athlete, can see the tension and say, hey, before you start, why don't you go write a rut? Just get it out. Yeah, get and, it then out. Tell, and then tell me what, you're, what you can and what you will do today. Yeah. And so they don't necessarily have to share the, the rut part, but I want them to share verbally what they can and what they will focus on. Cool. My next question was, is there a mental skill or tool you love teaching, but you just gave us a, a tremendous one right there. Um, yeah. Kind of just to pivot on that question just a little bit, uh, the breath, right? We talk about mindfulness, you know, how do you get athletes to understand how powerful taking control of that breath can be? Um, I've used a device for a long time. I'm not a big device person. I'm not a big assessment person. The only assessment I use is the athlete assessments disc, athlete coach manager disc assessment. And then the only other tool I use, which is like in tech world, super cheap, is called HeartMath. Um, and it's the inner balance app. Um, and so if I really want an athlete to understand the science behind it, why not have it experiential and have them try it? And so if you're sitting still, um, your, your heart rate, your heart rate variability shouldn't be really changing because you're just at rest. And the only reason it would change is because of what we're focused on or what we're thinking. Um, and so it's getting them into like maybe having them do something competitive, whether it's put a jigsaw puzzle together or whatever, and see how things start to change and then have them focus on their breath and then see. So some of it is just that educational piece. And then it's getting them to find what breath works for them. A lot of times now I don't tell athletes in competition to take a breath. I tell them to exhale or to take their breath, to find their breath. And so I'm not someone who's like, this is the way you need to breathe. Mm -hmm. There's all different breathing techniques. um, And you have to find what one works for you. And also if you are a counter, like what's your count? Like, I don't like saying breathe in for four, exhale for five, breathe in. No, like that person could start hyperventilating. That doesn't feel comfortable to them. Sure. So, um, and I always say the meditation is a great way to start exploring that breath. No doubt. Um, And so that's kind of how I layer it in. I show them the science behind it. I give them some experiential, (laughs) you know, tutelage. And then it's going right into, okay, now that you have that understanding and you believe me, right? Some of that is believing it. And then it's like, okay, now let's explore and train and practice different breaths, but you have to practice it out of sport. Then you do it in sport. Then you do it in sport under pressure. Mm -hmm. And then we take it to competition or game. Love it. Um, what, one of my pet peeves, if I hear out of coaches, especially sometimes when you're youth and older coaches, is when you hear the coach say the kids come over, or maybe it's a timeout or something, yeah. and you can tell, you can see the feeler sense of frustration, and they just say, "Take a breath." I'm like, make sure if you're going to say that as a coach, make sure they know what to do, and it, yeah. and it and it's not coming across as, "Hey, you need to calm down." 
Right. Well, also I'm breathing coach or I'd be dead. Like that's the other <laughs> right. that's why I think it's really funny too. I'm like, they're looking at you like I'm clearly breathing or I'd be dead coach. So, and then they've never trained it or talked about it. It's just in the moment, take a breath. And for me, I'm like, take an exhale. And when I say that, they're like, like what it. do you mean? And what that means is for me, they're in their red zone. They're in the fight, flight, freeze. Exhales are non-existent or they become really short. Yeah. Um, and so it's getting them to understand that and that all the CO2 is building up in your body and now you're building up the lactic acid, all that kind of stuff. So it's teaching them all that kind of stuff. And I'm a big teach. Some athletes may not want to know, but I'm going to still teach it. And some athletes really want to know the why behind it. And so yeah. I think we have to do a better job um, as coaches and professionals to teach the why and not go, the kids don't care. They're not going to get it. No, if you're a good teacher, they're going to get it. <laughs> so <Yeah>. teach. <laughs> no doubt. I love it. Um, one of the things I've heard you talk about, and I, I, I know there's a, there's a great video, I think they call leadership lessons from the dancing man. Mm -hmm. um, but one of the things that I love that, in talks that I've observed of yours, you bring it up is the dynamic of being a leader and then how important following is mm -hmm. and being those first followers. Can you kind of explain that to listeners about how, how important, not just being leading, but how you are leading sometimes through following? Sure. So we can't all lead, um, or who's following. And so it's like, I always said, when you go into a company, you don't want to run in into the CEO and be like, I want to be a leader. Cause the CEO is like, no, I'm, I'm the leader. <laughs> um, can you follow me? Um, and so it, like the, one of the greatest forms of leadership is being a first follower and saying, Hey, I totally have Tyler's back. Like I agree with Tyler. And so being a follower, you can follow the wrong people or the right people. And it's more important. I'm being able to identify who should I be following? Why am I following them? And how do I support them? And if you are a true leader, you want to empower others to lead. So you become their follower. Like you're, you're empowering them to, to take ownership and to have a voice. And then you're becoming their first follower. Um, and so it, it's not a, a fixed state. Like I can be leading verbally or whatever one minute and the next minute I could be following. Um, and those are the best leaders, right? The servant leadership kind of model. Um, and it's, and it's getting everyone to understand you're a leader, whether you want to be or not, you're either leading or you're following and both are forms of leadership, um, and the power of that. And, and if someone's following you, you're a leader, whether you want to be or not. <laughs> so, yeah, they've had a, uh, a friend and former Navy SEAL instructor on the podcast. And he said, really, that's what the training is all about is moving the leaders, moving the followers around and seeing the responses. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it doesn't have to do with the tough guys. It's, it's who can adapt to the role and back and forth, back and forth, lead, follow, lead, follow. Um, so it's well, we gotta, we gotta train that though, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. We, don't, we train, I'm all about, I, I'm all about more first follower training now. Forget about this whole leadership thing. Like I, like leadership is we like, there's so many books now on it and, podcasts and all this other stuff. I'm like, where's the first fuck? Cause most of us are going to be following Yeah, exactly. most of the time. Yep. So maybe we should be doing a better job of teaching the followers yeah. how to follow. I think there's a lot of times when I, I find myself, when you, I talk to athletes about leadership, I start with, are you following this minimal standards? Like, mm -hmm. are you modeling, are you modeling and, and following what's supposed to be done that yeah. others can, you know, easily emulate and follow yeah. as well. So, um, Love that, that point. If you could go and hop in a time machine and go visit 16 year old self, what's the one piece of advice that you've gained in all your experiences that you'd want to share with yourself? I just wish I, I, 
the, the just being present and like being able to understand the all the stories that we create in our heads and that we usually center ourselves in those stories um and to to love and be kind more because if you do that then everything kind of just rolls around you and that your energy matters and the energy you put off matters and um at the end of the day it's it's how you treat other people and i think i've been a pretty good decent human but i'm also was human like not realizing that my reactions um, and my behaviors were centered out of the ego and protection mode and um, survival mode, like fitting my, you know, suiting my needs and being like, all right, you need to understand that it's not, it's not that big of a deal. You're like one little speck yeah. in the entire universe. And we center ourselves because that's what we do as humans and that the ego kind of can take over. Um, and so I just wish I had had those tools and, and understanding that back at 16. So it's less of what would I want to tell myself. I would tell myself is do some meditation. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> Work on meditation. Good. Nice. I love it. Um, last thing we always like to ask, never had the same answer twice yet. How do you okay. define success? <sighs> That's a loaded question. Yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> I think... Um, for me, it's all, it's individualized, but for me, like, I guess success is just loving people and being kind to people and, um, giving, you know, are you, are you, are you making folks around you, the energy that you give off? Like you making people not, you can't make people feel better, but are you creating a space, Good. you know, where they can live their best life and they can reach their excellence in that space? That you're creating for them so for me that would be success is am i creating a space over and over and over again for any person who walks in the room to reach their excellence whether that's in sport or in life